Find yourself in danger when you're threatened by a stranger When it looks like you will take a licking <laughs> There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you Just call for Super Chicken Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show Brought to you by Calm Box Feeds My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer Author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to join us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at one 888 824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. 
They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Give the chicken fountain a try. It's clean water by design. It's a new way to water your flock. Chickens to turkeys to ducks to peacocks. Nothing to lose, so start today. Not a major water, the easy way. Learn more now, you can't go wrong. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I was just heading over to our Facebook page to see all the questions that were posted on there for Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. He'll be just joining us in a few minutes and uh, be taking a lot of questions from our Facebook page and over at Twitter. Of course, if you have a question for him, you can call in. Three four seven six three seven thirty two thirty seven. Let's see some uh, some news we'll get to here real quick uh, before Peter calls in. Number one, we still have the contest going on over in the summer edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. You can uh, go there and enter for free at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. That's chickenwhisperermagazine.com, and. Um, It'll be a, a contest sponsored by Urban Coop Company. They've donated a starter coop for that particular contest. So you can enter that contest absolutely free. And while you're there, subscribe to the totally free <laughs> digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. A lot of great information contained in those. In fact, we are actually uh, working on the fall issue that uh, should be out here in a little bit. We uh, are editing all of the um, uh contributors uh, information that's been sent over a lot of great topics some fascinating topics actually for the fall issue looking forward to that number two 
Uh, as I said on a previous or a couple of previous episodes, uh, I'm currently working kind of on a new campaign of uh, salmonella safety with backyard flocks, and we're working on a, a, a kind of a, a poster. And then uh, I've contacted CDC uh, and see if we can't get some of these folks that were suffering from the salmonella due to their backyard flocks on the air. Um, actually, I contacted and they referred me to, in fact, they've reached out to all the states uh, with this current outbreak uh, to actually see if anybody would like to come on and uh, help educate others about their experience and, and uh, things like that. But also, uh, it, they got in contact me to a, a well-known national attorney that handles food illness clients, and uh, I'll be contacting them. They sent me one, uh, and it was a, apparently a 14-year-old boy who did uh, get contaminated with the salmonella. Uh, I believe it was last year's outbreak of salmonella um, when Mount Healthy Hatchery was identified. And uh, I'm going to call them later this afternoon to see if they can come on the show either tomorrow or Wednesday, and I'll let you know all about that. Because uh, I'm going to ask them many, many questions, uh, obviously, about their experience. This is the first time they've had chickens. Were they experienced chicken keepers? Did they know even about salmonella? Did they know it even existed? Did they know the risk was there? If they did, uh, did they seem to feel like they ignored the risk and did what they wanted to do anyway? Uh, talking about the symptoms, when did you know something that was more than just a stomach bug? When did you decide to go to the hospital? Um, tell us about your experience uh, in the hospital. Um, they can't disclose any type of settlement uh, information because all that is sealed. Um, and um, and then and kind of what they do now, uh, if they still have backyard poultry, and what they do differently now. So a lot of information, and I think that it will be a lot, um, it will hit home, I think, more than just looking at a poster with the CDC's logo on it, that, you know, it's here are the numbers, uh, to actually talk and hear of the voice of this mom and maybe even this boy at summertime who may not be in school or they may homeschool uh, about their issue and, and how they think they got it, what they do differently now, and ju- just the experience. I want to ask them also how many times, if they were an experienced chicken keeper, how many times did the words, I've kept chickens for 10 years and I've never had a problem with salmonella, I want to know how many times they said that before they ended up in the hospital. So, uh, yes, risks are very low. We understand that, but the risks are there. Just because you've never had a problem in 80 years of keeping chickens, doesn't mean the risks are there. And we don't need just to educate. So I'm really uh, interested in having that show maybe hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday if their schedule allows. Um, and so that's coming up uh, as well. Also, chickens in the news today over on our Facebook page. You can scroll over there and take a look. This was uh, very interesting. came out actually a couple of, a couple of days ago. And it really is geared towards our North Carolina uh, chicken keepers. But the uh, state uh, agricultural department there in North Carolina, the uh, state vet uh, working with the state ag, has now um, in anticipation of avian influenza uh, this fall on the East Coast. Um, The title of this uh, article is All Poultry Owners, Large and Small, must register for farm ID number. And so, um, very interesting. Uh, I'll read this to you. Um, I'll be contacting them later today also to get on their take because it doesn't say uh, if this is going to be enforced, how will they even know, what if somebody doesn't want to do it, what if they're keeping chickens under the radar, um, and, and if you find out they have chickens and they didn't register, is there any kind of a, a punishment, a fine, things like that. But um, state veterinarian Doug Meckles announced additional precautions 
that are being put in place to help North Carolina prepare for a possible introduction of highly pathogenic avian influenza. The North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is requiring all poultry owners, regardless of the number of birds, to register for a farm ID number. Meckel said this will facilitate the department in alerting poultry owners about an outbreak, especially owners in close proximity to a positive farm. Poultry owners can also sign up for a, a national premises ID number, but it's not required. Anyone already part of the National Poultry Improvement Plan, NPIP, is exempt from this requirement. They already have your information. Uh, an online sign-up form will be available after August 1st. Um, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture website notes that those with small flocks, including farmers with pastured flocks, will be able to register online online after August 1st. And planning our response for highly pathogenic avian influenza, one problem we've come across is that we can't protect birds that we don't know exist. Meckel said, we need to know where poultry are located so we can properly protect commercial and backyard flocks. Information gathered through the North Carolina Farm ID registration is used solely for animal health purposes. This critical data will provide animal health officials with necessary contact information in case of an animal health concern and help identify animals and premises or premise, uh, premises uh, that may have been affected. The North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is also requiring any commercial poultry grower, 200 or more birds, to submit a highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak plan. A commercial grower would be any grower under contract with an, an uh, integrated company. It's very important that growers think through the worst case scenario because a confirmation of high path avian flu would certainly be a worst case scenario. Michael said we want uh, each grower to consider their resources and location to determine how they can best handle an outbreak in a way that is environmentally sensitive and gets them back online as soon as feasible. Uh, a highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak plan template will be available on the department's website after August 1st. Growers will need to submit the plan to the veterinary division no later than September 15th. While only commercial growers will be required to submit the plan, all flock owners are encouraged to plan ahead and consider how they would respond to a confirmed positive. Last month, Meckles and Agriculture Commissioner Steve uh, Troxler announced that bird shows and sales would be halted from August 15th to January 15th, August 15th of 2015, uh, through uh, January 15, 2016, the uh, intent is to prevent birds from commingling and spreading the highly pathogenic avian influenza virus. Individual sales are still allowed, however, to take place. For more information about avian influenza and the department's response plans, please visit the North Carolina Department of Agriculture website. So uh, that came out a couple of days ago and say that they were requesting that uh, folks, whether you have six birds uh, or eight birds or 20 birds or just a backyard hobby flock, that you go ahead and register and get uh, a North Carolina, I guess, ag ID number. So a lot of bad comments coming on the Facebook page regarding that. You can imagine uh, what are some of the comments uh, that are coming through. And um, there's some there with reason, some are without reason, some are just out there in, uh, in, in space. But, um, you know, hey, it's, you know, we like our privacy as Americans, and 
And um, it's, it's just kind of one of those things, kind of like pick your battles type of deal. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like uh, my cell phone tracks me everywhere I go. There's, there's Google, there's the Internet, there's that. And, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things. So um, if you use a cell phone and a computer online, you can forget about privacy, I guarantee you. It'll pinpoint you in a 10-foot radius and know everything you've searched or done or anything like that. And, of course, um, it's just one of those things. But, no, we don't we like our privacy. We want to, you know, that's why we have backyard chickens for a lot of folks to be more self-sustaining and to provide for our families and uh, want to know where our food comes from. So, you know, there's there's some legitimate concerns uh, to go along with this. But I'll be contacting them later this afternoon because it didn't say anything in there about enforcement, uh, which, is, which is a big key. So uh, I'll try to see uh, what kind of enforcement they plan on doing, if any. This just like a lot of this mandatory evacuation during a hurricane. A lot of times, how mandatory is it um, versus a, just a suggestion? So I'll try to ask the tough questions like I always do uh, and give them a call later this afternoon and see if there's any enforcement measures here. And you got chicken keepers that are obviously keeping chickens under the radar, and we know that you'll never know where they're at, probably, unless they have a rooster. But um, just one of those things. We'll just have to see how, where that where that comes from. But um, interesting that 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 takes place. So um, hey, it's time to uh, get on the show. We got a lot of questions to cover. Some are pretty cool, and uh, some are kind of jokingly. But we'll uh, we'll cover them all here with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. dot uh, com. Hey, Peter. Well, thanks for joining us. Hey, Andy. How are you doing? Good. I guess you saw that came kind of come across the board as well, where North Carolina is kind of uh, warning everybody uh, with backyard poultry, regardless if it's two birds or 200, wanting to register for a uh, farm ID number. Did you see that article? Yes, I did. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, positive and negative comments to it. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's as big a deal as everybody thinks it is. Um, um you know, the, the people that are against it, the people uh, that understand it, um, I can shed a little bit of light on it. One of the reasons um, for them coming down so tightly in, in that particular state is uh, the tremendous amount of turkeys that are raised there and uh, also the um, um, a lot of people don't, don't know this, but uh, most of the broiler breeder flocks at least from my area, reside in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So if you're raising birds up here where I'm at, um, the majority of the uh, poultry companies here don't really maintain breeders here anymore. <clears throat> the, uh, I think there's one poultry company that still has some, but the majority of them will have them in North Carolina and eggs are shipped up uh, uh, on refrigerated uh, tractor trailers. So you can just imagine uh, avian influenza getting out of control in North Carolina, taking out the turkeys um, and taking out these uh, uh, breeder flocks. Um, you would really tighten up the uh, the broiler market real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you wouldn't have uh, very many weeks before uh, you would end up technically running out of chickens and uh, or running out of enough eggs to make a decent set. The, the impact across the poultry industry is uh, is huge. Uh, we've seen that in the uh, Midwest and the West <clears throat> where it was uh, allowed to get out of control. Uh, and I say allowed because, in my opinion, a great deal uh, of the um, uh, damage that was inflicted there was self-inflicted, um, not being able to control it 
uh, and not doing their due diligence. Yeah, we called that out on the show back in January. I see when people started saying, well, right. you know, the big guys have all the biosecurity. It isn't that they don't have it. They don't enact it because of it's not my deal. It happened to the other guy. Uh, we don't have the money. Uh, it'll raise the prices. There's so many excuses for doing things, uh, you know, according to the book. And I think that, you know, the uh, the initial impact study done by the Department of Agriculture showed that, you know, uh, lack of uh, discipline in uh, going from an infected farm to a non-infected farm with uh, equipment, trucks, personnel, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And no real uh, control uh, in, in place, so it's no wonder it spread. It it kind of baffled me when I saw, uh, you know, professional people saying, well, we don't understand why this is spreading. I mean, it, all you have to do is understand the dynamics of the industry. And I think, <clears throat> I think when you when you look at some of the officials that were probably making these things, their their day to day contact with these people is nil, um, and I don't think they have as as good an understanding as they should you know, of how those operations really work. Uh, if you'll go back to the uh, uh, big uh, salmonella outbreak several years back in uh, commercial poultry eggs, if you'll remember that one, it was a big fiasco. But when they really got to digging into what was going on at those particular companies, there was nothing going on to, to uh, keep rodents out, keep free-flying birds out, uh, contaminated feed was coming in, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Um, so it's not... Uh, you know, and that's not to paint with a wide, broad brush and say that you know some companies aren't doing their due diligence. Obviously, some are, but um, uh, that's why you know that particular state is coming down on things uh, real hard. Uh, looking at it technically, if they want to uh, try to get everybody registered, so what? I mean, you register your car. They already know where you live with your car. I mean, so what's the big deal? I think people are <clears throat> are under the misconception that if an outbreak happens, you know, anywhere in the state, they're going to come around all the small flocks and put them all down. That doesn't work that way. It, it just doesn't. You know, if you're in an immediate... It, it amazes me, it amazes yeah. me the, the amount of people that, um, when they see the, the commercial farms that get hit hard, and like you just explained, the, North, the state of North Carolina and the importance of that state to a lot of the uh, other producers, uh, how quick they're just... Uh, how quick they are to just throw out there that the sentence we've all seen, well, uh, I've got my own eggs from my own backyard. It's not going to affect me. You know, or this is why I keep backyard poultry because I don't buy a backyard. You know, I don't buy eggs at the store. And they, and they think it's that cut and dry and that simple. But, I, you know, you want to ask them, really, okay, well, um, how many times do you go out to dinner? You know, do you not get your prices? How, how do you buy, you know, do you buy chicken versus the, the eggs? And how many products in the store actually have, a bag in it, um, and and so you know it's not they they just they're just so quick to put up their arms and say this is affecting me. I have eight hens in my backyard where I get my eggs, but they just don't think it through. Uh, the I don't think at least according to the comments, it doesn't show regarding the the overall snowball effect of not just your eggs are going to be higher in the store, but everything that uses eggs in them, and, and that's a lot of stuff, um, which will also go up. And then we talk about, you know, the meat and, and, and that thing. So I think a lot of times it's just people are quick to say, oh, you know, I, don't, I, get, I have eggs from my backyard and they end up at that and they think it's a done deal. People I also don't think they focus on, yes, you may make enough money to go down the street to the farm uh, where they're doing pasture-raised chickens and sell them for $17 a piece. But what about the people across the tracks? 
you know, who are, who are getting chicken for, you know, $3 a pound, $2.99 a pound to feed their family in this protein source. They, mm-hmm. they can't nor have the money to, to go and, and do that, um, you know, and uh, uh, say goodbye to them. I, I was riding down the road the other day, and I saw it was, um, I think it said something like, I don't know, 10, 10 chicken nuggets and a small fry for two forty nine. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, seriously, I just I look at that and, and I want to take a picture of that and say, okay, next time you take a picture of this this um, this uh, broiler truck going down the road, um, and you think, oh, this is why I have poultry in my backyard, or da 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 da, then then you know, I'm going to post a picture of the poultry truck going down the road, and then next to it, post a picture of this: ten chicken nuggets and a small fry for two forty nine. Next time you know, I go to Walmart, I'm going to take a picture of this already cooked rotisserie chicken for, you know, four ninety five. Mm-hmm. So this is why we see that truck going down the road like that. And if you just say, oh, it doesn't affect me, you never go out to eat. Never, never, never. You've never been to a restaurant. If you've been to a restaurant one time in your life, if you've been to a fast food restaurant one time in your life and ordered chickens or something with eggs, then um, then, then there you have it. Um, there's, uh, you're, you're guilty, too, at least at one point in your life. So, at the other, I just think it's more, a lot of us uh, are quick to just say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I have a few layers in my backyard, but... Um, I wanted to share that with everybody as far as chickens in the news, and we'll get on to these questions, but it, it is interesting to see uh, people's point of view when we post this. And Oh, by the way, you may not have tuned in. Uh, I did get in. Uh, I'll be getting in touch this afternoon. I got their contact information with a family uh, that did go through the salmonella illness last year with last year's outbreak. Um, they cannot disclose the settlement they got because all that is sealed. Um, and it was uh, apparently through the Mount Healthy Hatchery from last year's outbreak, 14-year-old boy. And I'll be seeing if they can come on tomorrow or Wednesday just to add some human touch to this, to say, hey, it's not just a poster giving us numbers. Here's a family. We'll talk hopefully to the son and the mom and what they went through. And I might be asking tough questions like, did you even know salmon up? Did you know there was a risk? How long was this your very first chickens? You know, do you get points for that? Or have you had chickens for a long time? If you knew the risk, why'd you ignore them? Did you ignore them? Did you think you were ignoring them? Um, if you're an experienced chicken keeper, how many times did the words, um, I've kept chickens for 10 years, I've never had a problem at all, and now they're in the hospital. <laughs> and how many times did you say that um, before this happened? So I I'll ask tough questions. I'll, I'll talk to them on the phone today and say, hey, these are some of the questions I'm going to ask you, not to be mean, but we're trying to get the point across that regardless if it happens, one in a million or one in 100,000 or one in 10,000 or one in 1,000, the risk is there regardless, and you're a good example to help us educate these folks just to do some extra things to, to help prevent illness. So that's all we're talking about. So hopefully in the next couple of days we can have them on based on their schedule. But I did find a, uh, find at least one family that had contacted the states with this current outbreak to see if they can find somebody with this current outbreak that would also come on. So um, but let's hit some of these questions over here on our uh, Facebook page. We've got a good one here from uh, uh, Deidre. And thanks so much again, uh, Peter, for coming on on uh, this Monday. Sure. Deidre has a question here. I built a roost for my girls in their barn, and only one has actually tried it out at night, and I see all the other eight hens huddled together in the corner on the ground. <laughs> is this uh, is this common for hens not to want to roost at night? Uh, again, apparently I don't know if they were all roosted in the floor, and she just said, yeah, I'm going to put a roost up now. And they got in the habit of, you know, there wasn't one there, so they just bunkered down in the corner and hung out. Now there's, there's just a bar there, um, or if it's been there the whole time. It says she just built a roof for her girls in their barn 
and only one uh, is using it. The other eight still huddle in the ground, I guess, where they're accustomed to them staying all their lives. So uh, shed some light on this. Maybe some things we can do to try to get them to uh, roost on this bar. She just uh, put in her barn for her for her girls. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, I find that your softer feathered birds, silkies, uh, that kind of bird, um, they don't really care to roost very high. Uh, I think it has to do with their, you know, inability to really fly up very high. Um, <clears throat> the birds that we have out here in our uh, uh, coop here, uh, they uh, they all roost, every one of them, and. Um, uh, I have, as a matter of fact, it's a funny thing to bring this even up because we're thinking now uh, and will be sometime between now and fall, uh, changing our own roosting situation around, making it all one level instead of the multi-level that I have now because I don't use the other part. Nobody does. And I've got three different areas for them to roost, one down lower, one up higher, and one off to the, the right-hand side of, the, of both of those. Uh, they're all sturdy, um, plenty of... Uh, you know, of, of uh, space for them to get up on there, um, but they seem to like the uh, longer one at the top. <clears throat> so what I might do, uh, at least we've been talking about it and probably going to go ahead and do it, is we're going to change that and make the upper one a little bit longer and um, rehang the suite of heaters uh, that are on the other ones and, and put them all, all in a row up there and just let them all go to the top. Um, some of these things are... For some of these birds, if they've never had the opportunity to get up high, um, it just becomes a habit, well, I'll stay down here on the floor. Um, a good friend of mine who was uh, a, a Polish uh, champion, Polish breeder for over 30 years, who is now retired from the business, um, he used to start his birds out um, in the uh, in the grow-out pen when they were real, real young and just uh, put a... a, a a makeshift roost that was sturdy uh, about 12 inches off the floor and start them that way. So, um, and then keep raising it up till it got to a reasonable height that they were all comfortable going up to. Uh, and that way you don't have them, you know, it keeps birds cleaner than not down in the, in the manure all night, um, picking up, uh, and this, this for him, uh, made a big difference because when it comes showtime, you got to select your birds and wash them and everything else. The cleaner they are, the easier it is for you. Uh, so what, what this gal might decide to do here is to move the roost down close to the floor um, and see if they'll go to it naturally and then uh, let them get used to that and then, you know, a foot at a time or so move it up. She also might uh, consider going in at night after everybody's uh, kind of sleeping and just pick up each one that isn't on a roost and put them there. Uh, she might try that without even moving it at all, and uh, they may get the hint that... Um, you know, now's the time to get on the roost and, and, uh, and be with everybody else. Uh, the other thing you have to uh, assess, too, is, you know, how well do all of the birds get along? Um, we've got a few, um, you know, out in, in our pen that uh, don't necessarily, um, you know, like each other all of the time. So you have to take that into consideration. Um, so is there, you know, the one that goes to, to roost, is that the dominant bird, doesn't want anybody else up there, or are they afraid of that one, um, and that kind of thing. We've even got some that, and this is funny, with all of this roosting space now, okay, we've got some that will roost on the on the brace that holds the whole thing up. So go figure. 
you know, you give them all of this uh, real nice, uh, clean roosting space, and they go hang out on a piece of, uh, of uh, two by four that's on the, on the wall that holds the whole thing up. Um, it's it's hard to determine, you know, why why they do that, and when we change this around, whether that'll go away or or not, I don't know. But um, you know, they're capable of learning. Um, might take a while to, to keep putting them back on the roost, but that's what I would do if you're, you know, uh, hell bent on getting them all up on the roost. Um, you know, just the same as we've got one out there that, you know, we've got one small uh, two-hole nest box uh, that we use uh, out there, and we've got, um, you know, one roost that likes to hang out in there, um, and um, we don't really care one way or another. And then. Some days you'll come in and, and he's not there, he's up on the roost. So whatever they like, and, and God only knows what the difference is between the nest box and the roost. But uh, for, for, the, for the most part, uh, you'll, you'll find all of them up on, the, uh, on, on that roost. Um, and I think the best way to, you know, to really try to get these others uh, is to maybe even bring the roost down lower. I think that's where I would probably start and uh, bring it down about a foot off the floor and uh, pick mm-hmm. everybody up at night and put them on it. And uh, see how it goes. And uh, and again, on the other hand, they may never go to it. It's just um, one of those things. Mm-hmm. Best started early, though, with the flock. You know, the earlier you start, like that. you know, doing something with them like that, the uh, the easier it is to get them all to go up. But uh, silkies yeah. especially don't uh, really roost at all. Um, I know that's been a major complaint of most people that uh, they don't understand why they're just a big fluff ball pile on the floor, but that's the way they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that starting at having a roost uh, in, in the brooder and, and, and training them early. That's uh, great, great advice there. Um, Michelle wants to know, can adult phantoms and standard-sized largefowl uh, chickens ever live together peacefully? My largefowl chickens are uh, merciless. Uh, to my bantams, especially my silkies, very scared the hell. Now, I'll just, uh, from, from my experience, we've had them all together before um, with, with no issues, but we raised them all together pretty much from, from hatch um, versus just, okay, here I have uh, eight large fowl and I'm going to just throw in some silkies or some salamas. So, uh, and we've done it both ways. We've had a specific, we had a tractor where we had some silkies and uh, Saramas in that, but we've also raised them all together in one pen. We've had success, but they were all raised uh, together from from the brooder. Um, and uh, so Michelle wants to know: Can can the bantams and the large fowl live peacefully together in my backyard, Peter? Depends on the breed, and it, <laughs> and it really does. Um, you know, some breeds are very tolerant of 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 uh, of. Uh, uh, you know, bantam-type birds uh, uh, in the pen with them, don't mind it. Uh, everybody gets along. And then you get another breed, um, you know, that's uh, a little bit more aggressive. And um, a lot of these behaviors end up being learned behaviors. We've talked about this before uh, on the show. Some things are instinctive uh, and that, that they're born with, and others are just learned. Uh, the bad behaviors, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, feather picking, vent picking, those kinds of things uh, certainly uh, head picking, crest picking, uh, uh, those kinds of things in, in general are things that uh, get started um, uh, for various reasons and um, uh, perpetuate themselves. Uh, other birds join in, just seems like just for the heck of it, like a piling on type effect. 
Um, even in our own situation here, I've said to, to everybody here before, anybody that's listened to the show on a regular basis, we have predominantly roosters in this uh, in this coop at this point in time and uh, more than likely not going to get any more birds. Um, uh, most of these, uh, all of these, except for one, are geriatric. They're all up in age, uh, up in your higher uh, to middle teens. Uh, there are some that are below that. One juvenile, about two and a half years old, uh, who's a royal pain in the backside. Um, but by and large, the majority of them get along. But there are two different breeds in there. There are two Deanver males who don't like each other. They're they're actually brothers. Came from the same uh, hatching, and um, uh, they will chase each other around. And, and you know, one of them knows. Uh, Whereas places, and he knows how to get away from the other one, and they don't actually fight; they just seem to chase each other. Um, and uh, you know, if he goes around the feeder and the other one's there, it's, you know, he's not going to eat. And so we, that, that's why I said we've developed a program here uh, with feeders in different locations, so that uh, they don't have to be uh, on top of each other and put pressure on each other. Uh, so that might be part of the part of the problem uh, with these others. I um, I didn't hear you mention a particular breed, um, but uh, you know, you take a, a Rhode Island Red, uh, they happen to be a breed I know is a little bit more aggressive. Uh, white Leggerns can be uh, a little bit more aggressive. Um, and, um, you know, I don't know everything about every breed, but I do know that, that, that some breeds just get along with others very well. Others do not. Um, you know, these guys here were pretty much raised together. Like, i got four cats that hang out with these chickens. Four cats. <laughs> And it, you really have to see it to understand it. But there's there's four cats, all from uh, um, from a sm- you know a cat on on a smaller side uh, to, uh, uh, to to muffin, who's a big fluff bald giant lazy butt, and uh, and uh, you know they they intermingle with with the cats. You can leave them all locked up and have for many many years, and, and nobody bothers anybody. We have uh, cat chase lounges out there for them, so to speak, that are covered. The chickens go on there. You'll see a chicken laying in there with a with a cat or two, um, you know the, the whole nine yards. So it really just depends. It depends on on you know on what they're uh, used to doing. Um, but um, you know at the end of the day, uh, I think it it if the uh, aggressor, it, it, I would figure out who the aggressors are in the flock. That's the first thing I would do, and. Um, I would then consider putting the pinless peepers on the aggressors. Uh, I don't Let think stop you there because, I'll stop you there because it leads us into the next question. Since you're getting into it, I'm like, this is a perfect segue. Jennifer okay. also wants to know, um, uh, my lone hen keeps attacking my two new hens. Got them as chicks in the spring. Now I have the two new hens in a separate run next to the old one. La, 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 la. We've heard it, heard, you know, heard it a bunch. Um, every time I try to get them together, the older hen goes ninja <laughs> on my barred rock and actually draws blood. And so I was. That was the next question I was getting to. So now we can answer. Uh, kill two birds with one stone. No pun intended. And since you're going down the pinless peepers, I thought this would be a great answer for Jennifer as well to try the pinless peepers. So I'll, I'll let you continue there. But yeah, Jennifer, that would be my. Uh, that would be my uh, next move. Uh, mm-hmm. We did that uh, on these um, uh, two Deanvers in the beginning when we first moved them here to upset the apple cart, um, and. Um, we we did that for a few weeks uh, on them, and it, it toned things down a lot. Um, and um, like I said, we have predominantly roosters now. Uh, I think there's only um, 
There's 12 birds total left, and um, I want to say eight of those are roosters, eight or nine, and um, they're all bantams. Um, and uh, like I said, for the most part, they all get along, tolerate each other. Everybody knows where the space is. Everybody else knows where to feed, and and uh, you know all that. They do their stupid stuff in the morning, you know, pounce on the girls right off the roost, you know, first thing out of the box. And um, But most of them head for outside as long as the weather isn't raining crazy. And uh, they'll go out there and and, uh, and eat and drink outside, and then they can go about their business. And I'm going to measure up exactly how many square feet of of, uh, of pen space I have for them. It's a tremendous area that they have uh, um you know, for 12 birds. So, that, uh, again, plenty of place for them to get away from each other, plenty of feed, plenty of water. Um, you can't you can't take birds and um, cram them up with nothing to do uh, in these uh, small coops that I keep seeing on um, uh, Facebook and other places. Uh, uh, people seem to be proud of these little tiny cubbyhole things that um, uh, they want to call coops. Um, uh, I just am not happy with, with that. I don't care if it's two birds, three birds. It's just not enough room uh, in some of these things to, to put birds in. That being said, if you have a birds that are overly aggressive, uh, you, there are some things you can do. The, the pinless peepers are one. Uh, adequate food and water space so everybody can get away from each other so they're not bullying each other about that. Uh, the other trick that I like is a head of uh, cabbage with a uh, bolt or a screw put down into it and hung up in various places uh, so that they can go and amuse themselves. A lot of the aggression that we see in these things, we forget that birds are um, foragers. And the, with the advent of a complete feed, pellet feed, mash, whatever you're giving them, uh, they don't really have to hunt for their food. Uh, you put it in a, in a uh, feeder and they come and they get all they want right then and there. and for the rest of the uh, next three or four hours before they may go back and eat. Uh, now what do we do? Oh, here's Susie over here. Let me go pick her eye out. You know, uh, that tail looks pretty good. Let me go pull a piece of the tail out. And then that starts it from one to the other. Uh, and so if you can keep them busy, um, you know, generally these things, uh, you know, can be mitigated in, in that fashion. But uh, I would consider the, the pinless peepers and um uh, People want to contact me at uh, Chicken Dr. at First State Vet Supply. Um, you know, I can give them a couple of sets free. It's, uh, they're not overly expensive. I've got a zillion of them here anyway. So. Okay, great, awesome. Um, Debbie wants to know. Apparently, she has uh, a mama hen with some babies, and she wants to know um, if she uh, allows the mama and the chicks to stay with the current flock. Will she protect them? Um, or is it better to kind of separate the mama and the chicks until the chicks get older and can fend for themselves? Uh, it is my experience, um, and there are other people may have different experiences, so I don't think anything is uh, totally set in stone. Um, my experience that once the youngsters get to be a royal pain, mama will push them away, just like they do in the wild. Um, you know, a deer and, and, and a bear and everything else, you know, there comes a point in time when the, the, the cord has to be cut. Same thing for, for chickens. Um, when we had um, this uh, little guy born out here, his mama took care of him. Uh, because everybody else was adult, we didn't want to put 
uh, the, the mom and the baby and a bunch of roosters together, so we had a good-sized cage set up for them. And she tolerated them for a good long while. And then there was, you know, that one particular morning it came out, and she was, uh, you know, trying to get away from him and pecking at him and that kind of stuff, and that's time to uh, separate her out. So that's when you pull her out and you let him, we let him get up to a decent size before we uh, integrated him into the flock. But uh, even even after we did that, um, you know, the other he was the subordinate rooster, and um, uh, you know he was uh, not allowed to eat and drink uh, when the other guys were doing that. So he put out another feeder in a different spot that he could go to. Uh, uh, and there's not that many birds that he couldn't wait his turn. He's not going to starve to death. But um, so they will push him off. Uh, I um, she, she should play that by ear. Uh, and there are others that are mothers that will mother them to death and stay right with them and everything else. And if she has other birds, it may create an issue. So you have to kind of uh, find that balance uh, within that within that flock. Uh, once you turn those babies and the mama loose about, about other, other uh, birds, they may not take so kindly to it. Um, some will, some won't. So you need to be careful uh, integrating them back into a, a group. Um, but uh, usually the mother will tell you when she's uh, just about had enough of uh, the silliness of the youngsters and uh, start to push them away. And then you got to recognize that and do it before she actually hurts them because they will hurt them. Okay, good, good answer. Yeah, I've uh, uh, oftentimes <clears throat> talked about that because they will you know, there's other chickens will uh, <laughs> go after those babies. Um, Patricia wants to know uh, if the laying hen turns into a rooster, Will it go back to being a hen if another rooster is introduced to the flock? And I don't have any details if she's talking about a hen that has kind of taken the rooster's role as far as looking for uh, predators, maintaining pecking order, maybe even calling a little bit, and, and uh, uh, just you know, that you know, becoming the top chicken there, or if she's talking about uh, you know exactly the details. But that's a question. If a, if a hen turns into a rooster, will it go back to being a hen if another rooster is introduced to the flock? Probably not. Um, if it does, uh, it's not going to be a, a uh, uh, at least I have never seen it, where it's a producing uh, uh, hen. Um, this is all hormonally controlled, and I don't believe that uh, the introduction of another rooster is going to make those hormones go away. Uh, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I'm not an endocrinologist, uh, but from what I have uh, read from a research standpoint uh, over the years um, and knowing what I know uh, about the conception of, of chickens, people are under the impression that um, you can change the, uh, the, the, the sex of the bird um, by altering the uh, temperature of incubation, um, and technically that's true. Uh, for instance, uh, if you had uh, prior to hatching birds that were uh, developing as females, and then the temperature was changed uh, appropriately, um, you know, would they end up uh, possibly being males instead of females? The answer to that part of it is yes, but they will still be females. Their, their chromosomes uh, are going to be female, not changeable, and vice versa. If it was a, a male, 
uh, and it was changed to the temperature, uh, um, <coughs> uh, made it so that uh, it was the opposite sex, uh, it's still going to be that particular uh, sex, either male or female, because of the fact that conception takes place uh, on average about 15 to 20 minutes after the ovum, which is the yolk, is ovulated into the beginning of the uh, oviduct, which is the infundibulum. And shortly thereafter, that egg is going to be fertilized, and it will be male or female right then and there, not changeable from that mm -hmm. standpoint. Hormonally changeable down the road, and that's why we see these uh, birds going from male to female, female to male, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but that's the rhyme and reason behind it. So it's it's after the fact um, that these things get uh, changed around hormonally. But I, I don't think it will go back the other way. I may be wrong. But I, I can't. Okay. I've never seen any research that that showed that one way or another. Okay, we're going to take a commercial break. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State Vet Supply. We're taking questions from our Facebook and Twitter page. We'll be back right after this short break. So you need an incubator? Think Brensey, the incubation specialist. Brensey has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from seven to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. 
Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Bull Free with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Combox Feeds. We're talking Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State VetSupply.com. We'll get back over here to our Facebook page and get to the next uh, question in line from our fan. And uh, Kelly wants to know, is there a breed or is it even possible to have a chicken that will not destroy my vegetable garden? And um, good luck with that, Kelly. That's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> none, that, none that I know of. Uh, again, going back to uh, looking at the chicken's roots, uh, they are foragers. And, uh, you know, they will just, uh, you know, tear up just about anything. Um, that's why, um, you know, if you've got a garden, uh, you know, I would I would protect it. Uh, I know that uh, there's a guy um, down in Virginia who is uh, an all-natural organic uh, farmer for chickens and, and other things. And uh, 
He uses his chickens to rototill his garden. He doesn't um, use any kind of mechanical means. What he does, he puts a small picket fence up around the garden when he's done with it. And he drops a dozen chickens in there for a while, and they go in there and they tear up everything. And uh, so that you know, they're good for those reasons. Um, she might want to consider uh, putting something up around her uh, her garden to keep the chickens out. But that's the only. I don't know of any any breed of chickens I've come across. Uh, <laughs> that just wouldn't go out there and, and do a number on it. Uh, it's natural to them. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I really don't know. Andy, you got any ideas on that one? I, no, that's why I say good luck with that because yeah. I'll tell you what, I don't care what breed we've had them uh, all um, just about, and whether it be the Sophie Saramas or the large fowl, it, it really didn't matter. Boy, they loved to get in that garden, and when we were done with it and, uh, and, and tear that up or one got in there, we'd go in and they'd be, eating just about anything and everything. So I've never had any eat my okra. They didn't seem to like my okra. <laughs> I won't even eat it. <laughs> I won't even eat it. Yeah, there's a lot of humans that fall into that category too, right? But yeah. but anyway, um, yeah, exactly. Just, uh, you're just going to have to do what you can to try to keep uh, keep them out. There's some neat things that you can see on- online and how people have, have uh, worked and allowed their chickens to access certain parts of their garden. So that's pretty neat. I'm sure you can go online and find those. Paula's got a really good question. I'll answer the first part, and I'll uh, have you answer the second part, Peter, because I think it's good. Um, she wants to know, can you take chickens to a dog or cat vet, or should I look for a special one that deals in chickens? I'll, I'll address that. And then, Peter, this is your portion. And what are the signs I should be aware of to that would uh, encourage me to take them to uh, the vet. So, Paula, here's, and in fact, I just answered this last night on a uh, Facebook uh, chicken forum, backyard chicken forum, and that is, here's the, the bigger issue. Uh, not just in the United States, but on the whole North American continent, the whole North American continent, the last time I checked and did my math, there are about or around just 200 certified avian veterinarians, okay, on the whole North American continent, right around 200 that have gone the extra mile to get that avian um, certification, um, and, and so that's finding one of those can sometimes be very, very difficult because they have that certification. If you don't have that certification, does not mean you're well capable of take, treating uh, and, and successfully treating uh, backyard poultry. It just means they didn't go that extra mile to get that certified avian veterinarian uh, uh, classification. Um, and so so you may have a hard time being that there's around 200 on the whole North American continent, a certified avian veterinarian. But that does not mean by any means that there aren't other very good vets that have for many years successfully treated backyard poultry and poultry uh, as well very successfully and, and do see chickens. Um so don't let just because they're not certified avian veterinarian mean that they're not capable or, or they haven't, and they could be very capable and have treated chickens for, for many, many years. I share an experience many years back uh, when we were starting out. I had uh, completely my fault. I had uh, basically a fly stick uh, that uh, we were cleaned out the coop, and then uh, I hung it, I think, outside the coop. And Anyway, it was an issue. And, and I had a bird get, get into that, and, and we thought maybe she had broken her wing. Felt totally bad about it. Um, took it to the closest vet to our home, which happened to be our dog, and our, we don't have cats, but our, our dog vet. And it was a Rhode Island red, and this is in Georgia, okay? And we walk in and said, yeah, we need to see the vet. Boy, this is a possible injury, the uh, Rhode Island red hand, da 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 And they looked at me, and they were like, 
we don't see or treat exotics. And I look at it and I'm thinking, this is Georgia and this is a yard bird. It is a chicken. Uh, what do you mean you don't see exotics? So that, that, that kind of threw me for a loop a long time. Exotic? This is not a, you know, $6,000 macaw uh, or, 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 what, or African gray, you know, this is a chicken. <laughs> and we're in Georgia. So, um, but yeah, so, but there, you may find some in your area that are classified on the sign outdoors, dog or cat. Um, if you live in more of a rural area, check those uh, uh, large animal vets that do some more quote unquote livestock farm animals, and then they have plenty of experience dealing with your backyard poultry or your chickens. So don't just let that uh, certified avian veterinarian find one great if you can't. Uh, there's, there are plenty of others that don't have that certification to treat chickens all day long and do a very good job at, at doing that. So that's my take on that. Um, uh, also, to, to one more thing I think is pertinent is that uh, often people say when we talk about getting a fecal flotation test, oh, well, my, my, I don't have a chicken vet near me, but it's the same. Hey, you may have to kind of uh, sweet talk your dog or cat vet. Say, look, you know me, I know you, you know I care for all of my animals, not for just my dogs or cats I bring to you. Um, if I bring you some poop, uh, from my chickens, would you do a fecal flotation to let me know what type of ones they, they have so I know if they don't have them? Um, and he may go ahead and do that. You may have to explain to him, look, the same test. It's just chicken poo instead of dog poo. You still do the test like you would if it was my dog or cat. Uh, can you please, I'd like to take good care of my chickens as well as my dog or cat. And I give you plenty of money to do that, so, um, and it, would you do that for me? Uh, and they may do that. So that's another thing you actually talk about, kind of explain to them what, what you're wanting or doing. Now, your portion, uh, Peter, is what are maybe some signs that would um, encourage me to seek the help of a vet versus maybe just trying to maybe treat it on my own? Is there anything specific that, hey, this, this, these things may, if you have the ability and, and someone nearby and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the cash, because uh, that's always an important issue, let's face it, for a lot of chicken keepers, cash, how much it's going to cost um, to take those, that hen to the vet? Is there anything specific that would stand out? Or is it still kind of personal preference? Well, yeah, on one hand, it is a personal preference um, mm-hmm. as to, uh, you know, which direction you want to go with it. Um, certainly, um, how much money can you afford? Uh, I'll give an example. Um, I have somebody that uh, uh, got a hold of me, oh, I don't know, three weeks ago at least now, I guess, um, and uh wanted my advice in relation to uh, some issues with, with a, a, a bird at that time. Uh, paid the $25 consultation fee. Uh, we, we talked about it and so on. And prior to this, I believe uh, there was a veterinarian involved. And I really hate to get my nose out of joint when somebody mm-hmm. else is, uh, is, is doing these things, but she understood it. Uh, and um, if my memory serves me correctly now, so it really doesn't matter one way or another, but I, I believe um, she's about 800 bucks or so into this with uh, now it's more than one bird. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, they're holding their own, but they're really not that much better for $800. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some, some things that were talked about to, to be done uh, after my consultation that did not get done. Um, 
can I sit here definitively and say that if they were followed to the T, we wouldn't be talking about this? I can't say that. You just don't know with chickens. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was very reluctant to stick my nose in. Um, and I'm still being asked to do so. Uh, and uh, at some point uh, tonight or tomorrow, uh, I'll, I'll get up with that person and talk about it some more. But um, the avian vet designation, and I'm not trying to badmouth anybody or any of these guys. They do a tremendous job, a tremendous service. Uh, but when it comes to chickens, it's not the same. It's a, uh, and I don't know what all is entailed for them for the avian certification, but I know the majority of these folks don't see chickens on any kind of regular basis, haven't got a clue. Um, uh, because they deal with you know with your parrots and you know, your parakeets and you know the, the, all your citizen birds and stuff. Uh, so it makes it more difficult because um, in many cases, um, and you've heard it yourself, Andy. Uh, so you know I'm not talking out of school. You know you end up spending your money, you end up with a dead bird anyway. And I'm not saying the bird wouldn't have died on its own or wouldn't have died if if you had contacted me. I'm not trying to put myself in that position. What I'm saying is that it, it's a very tough call to make. Um, uh, giving I think a, well, a lot of people, a lot of people look at it like um, two parts here. One, a lot of people look at it like uh, the value of that chicken is what they paid for it at the feed store, three dollars. Oh, it's just a three-dollar chicken. Why would I spend, you know, four hundred dollars on this three-dollar chicken? Uh, and, and, and if you think your chickens after eighteen months in are only worth three dollars. Um, you're, you're hardly, you're very mistaken based on cost of the coop, cost of the troops, cost of the feed, cost of raising in your time, da 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 It's yeah. more than just a $3 chicken. But a lot of people just look at that, just a $3 chicken. And then others, you know, other people, which this is absolutely legitimate, you know, for, for I don't want to say a lot, for, for many people, um, their health care ends up being an axe. Um, and I'm not saying that it's good or bad, but for a lot of people out there, their health care plan is, the, the axe that's in the garage. And so mm-hmm. that, that's the way they deal with health care with their backyard flock or their commercial flock. Um, and so you've got that, that crowd, but oh, it's only a $3 crowd. And then you've got folks that are willing to spend. This is a part of my family, whether it's a dog, cat, or a gerbil or whatever. I, I, I have them in my backyard. It's my responsibility to care for them as, as, as I can and, and then do that um, but I get, it goes uh, like any other animal or any other pet, just like your dog. And how, how many people, and there are out there, that'll spend $3,500 on a hip replacement for the dog. Uh, you hear, you know, there are people that have done that and will still do that, and some will not. Um, and so I think it's not any different, really, much for a chicken or your, your pet dog or your cat when it comes down to making that financial decision. Well, you know, uh, it is a personal thing, it is a personal financial decision. Um, uh, you know, that being said, uh, the I guess the main part of this question for me was, you know, what symptoms would prompt a person to uh, to do the uh, the, the vet uh, visit uh, or to seek out a, a veterinarian to to see the birds? Um, I think, for the most part, you have to look at uh, whatever is going to happen to your bird. Uh, is usually going to be treatable at home, uh, generally with a simple uh, antibiotic, 
the keys to treating uh, are with the proper amount of antibiotic for the proper amount of time. And therein lies the, the problem uh, from, you know, from my perspective, from what I see uh, all the time. Um, in this particular case, a, um, this bird had some sort of respiratory issue um, and a combination uh, 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 sulfa drug was chosen by the uh, attending veterinarian to give to the bird which is not what I would have chosen at all. And as a general rule, um, both in the commercial world and in the world that I play in, uh, we never use a sulfur drug uh, to treat a respiratory issue, ever. And part of the reason for that is that most respiratory issues and chickens take uh, a long time to uh, get them past it. Um, Usually most uh, respiratory agents we will use uh, in, in the drinking water uh, for 10 to 14 days. I prefer um, a methodology of going till there are no symptoms and then going another five days. So if you went 10 and you didn't have any symptoms, we go 15. If you went nine uh, with no symptoms, uh, we're appearing on the ninth day, we'd go five more, which would put you at 14. With sulfur drugs, okay, uh, especially for chickens, you're really limited to five or six days, period. And uh, the continued use of sulfur drugs uh, in, in chickens uh, opens you to uh, kidney problems and, and those kinds of things, which generally end up becoming irreversible. So um, what works for uh, somebody else doesn't always work for, for the other one. Uh, I'll give you, for example, if a person had a real large flock, let's say 500 birds, okay, and they were sick uh, with a respiratory issue, we might come in with a sulfur drug for five days because of the cheapness of it and then finish it out with a, another type of water-soluble antibiotic to bring it out uh, past uh, the, the time frame that I was, that I was talking about. Okay, so if you treat it for, uh, let's say you were using uh, sulfadimethoxine uh, up front, you'd get a good response to it. That's not the issue. The issue is when you take it away, it comes right back because you didn't clean it up. And then we started looking at antibiotic resistance down the road if this is kept up. So if I were going to give the sulfadimethoxine, I would give it for six days. And then after the sixth day, I would... Uh, come with one or the other, either a tetracycline or, uh, uh, you know, Thailand water-soluble, gallomycin, uh, uh, oxytet concentrate, any one of those, or in combination uh, for the extended period of time that I wanted to be out there. So if we went six days and we were going, uh, you know, to, to look at uh, uh, the methodology that I like to use, which would be uh, get them to the point where there are no symptoms and go five days, uh, you can run those antibiotics out quite a long period of time before there would be any issue at all, okay? And, but under those circumstances, that's the only way I would use uh, a sulfur drug. I would never use it to try to clear up the problem because it just doesn't work that way, and it's, it's, it's asking for trouble. So what symptomology? Generally, the only thing that, that a person is going to basically see in most backyard flocks, the biggest thing they're going to see is coccidiosis. So 
Um, if you are up for treating yourself, uh, we look at coccidiosis, lethargy in the bird, uh, unwillingness to move, falling asleep, standing up, droopy wings, ruffled feathers, and uh, the possibility, depending on the strain of coccidia, uh, blood in the droppings, okay? Uh, and then you can you can treat with something off the shelf, uh, sulfadimethoxine. You can treat with uh, Amprol. You can treat with Cord. Cord and Amprol being the same thing. Um, so it doesn't matter which one you use. Um, and again, using the appropriate amount for the appropriate period of time, um, which uh, would be um, uh, five to seven days, no matter whether it was the liquid or the powder. Um, and you would base you know all of that on. And don't think you're going to get it to go away. Uh, five to seven days, you're done with it. You throw the antibiotics away, and and uh, you're a happy camper. Uh, coccidia is is something that keeps coming back. Uh, is uh, proliferated uh, immensely by heat and moisture. So a lot of people have been calling lately that uh, are in places where it's been raining forever. So uh, we look at. Uh, you know, that moisture is what the coccidia love, and they love the warmer temperatures. Now that we've warmed up pretty much all around the country, we're starting to see, you know, more cases of that. Um, even in cases of lameness, where a bird goes totally lame, uh, you know, can't move its leg and everything else, the chances of going to the vet and having that mitigated in a, in a positive outcome are, are next to nothing. Uh, and I only say that because experience over the years has pretty much proven that out. Um, can you sometimes... Uh, correct it, yes. Um, if it's an injury, um, in most cases you can. If it's uh, Merrick's disease, not so much. Uh, we've been successful uh, doing some of those uh, 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 Merrick's cases and having a positive outcome, but by and large, uh, the outcome is not necessarily uh, going to be that good. Um, so I really can't say exactly. It's going to be up to the individual. Uh, if they're up for treating something and, and understanding it and getting good information, that's one thing. Um, if they're not sure of themselves and not sure they're getting the right information, then a veterinarian might be their best bet. But it's going to be a tough tough find. Yeah, definitely. It, it, I think it goes back also to that personal, uh, what, 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 how you raise your chickens, how you view your chickens. Yeah, I completely agree. At least she's got some information now to, to, to pinpoint some, some issues. Well, hey, that's going to wrap it up. Another great episode of uh, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Peter, great great uh, Ask the Chicken Doctor segment today, and uh, uh, we got maybe a little over halfway through, so we'll have to see if uh, we come back and um, uh, maybe later in the week if we have time and, and do some, maybe on the day that I welcome the folks uh, that, that are experiencing salmonella illness, uh, we can have you on for a few minutes to, to wrap uh, wrap up the rest of the questions so we can get to all of them, but thank you very much for your time today, and uh, uh, we'll see you at least next Monday, but maybe again this week for a, a short show. Yeah, shoot me an email. I will. Thanks. Hey, buddy, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Yep. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. 
and Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com and try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. From our family to yours. Feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us. Sorry about the delay uh, in those last uh, couple of commercials. I'm just... Uh... We got a thunderstorm going on here. Maybe it has something to do with that, regardless. But I want to say thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, send a shout out again as we wrap up the show to all the homeschoolers that listen to the show on a regular basis. Thank you for um, implementing the show in your daily curriculum. We do appreciate all the over the road truck drivers we not only hear about that listen to the um, the uh, um, uh, podcast uh, version uh, that's archived, uh, but that we uh, see while we're on the road traveling up and down the highway, spreading the chicken love. Keep the the rubber on the road and get that freight delivered uh, safely. Uh, everybody that listens to the live broadcast, thank you very much for tuning in uh, midday. And, uh, of course, the thousands of you that listen to the uh, archive podcast version, we thank you very much for tuning in when you're available uh, in your busy work schedule. And then, um, of course, all of the uh, uh, feed and seeds across the country that stream this radio show live for their customers, we thank you very much for doing so. Hope you're having a very good uh, summer. That's going to wrap up another episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Just a reminder that this coming Thursday, we do have uh, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray, PhD. She'll be coming on this Thursday. And if you'll give me a second, I'll try to see what the um, uh, topic is scheduled for this Thursday with Dr. McCray. If I can bring it up here. Uh, July 30th, raising game birds, raising game birds this Thursday. And then again, we may either tomorrow or Wednesday uh, have the family on that, uh, one of the families that was affected uh, by the Salmonella outbreak last year uh, around Easter time. So uh, we hope to have them on. I'll be calling them as soon as I get off the air today. So thank you very much uh, for tuning in. You can always join us at chickenwhisperer.com, chickenwhisperer.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. That's at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And uh, have a great day. God bless everybody. <laughs>